Hi, I'm Bill Mitchell, host of When Dating Hurts. Two years ago, I launched my Dating Violence podcast. Back then, I knew very little about recording, editing, or uploading to a hosting platform. Frankly, I didn't know what a hosting platform meant. When recording episodes, I needed it to be easy for me and my guests. You see, I was capturing highly emotional personal stories, and I couldn't have guests fiddling around, clicking buttons, starting and stopping over and over again. I launched with Zencaster, and I stayed with them. The reason is, it's just so darn easy. And today's Zencaster lets you record with high-quality audio and video. You can edit and distribute, too, all in one place. No more bouncing around from one platform to another to create your podcast. So if you're interested, go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code when dating hurts, all one word, and you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. Isn't it time to tell your story? I'm Bill Mitchell, and this is When Dating Hurts, a podcast dedicated to my daughter, Kristen, and all women taken from us before their time by the epidemic known as dating violence. I will speak with authorities in domestic violence, law enforcement professionals, families of victims and survivors, and survivors themselves. This is part one of my two-part conversation with Molly. You will hear how she was stretched to the limit with the man she dated and married. No matter how much advice Molly was given, she needed to figure everything out for herself. Here's our conversation. Today we have Molly, who is joining us on the When Dating Hurts podcast. And I'd like to begin by saying, Molly, that I'm very sorry about the loss of your daughter. Of course, I have some idea what that's like based upon losing our daughter, so this was, what, four years ago? Does that sound right? And by the way, welcome very much for coming here, but I just wanted to not forget to talk about your daughter a little bit. So thank you very much. Appreciate yes. this. Thank you. Four years. It's just yes. four years, May 9th. Yes. And she was eight years old or so? Was that right? Yes. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah, I'm really sorry about that. It's stunning. You know, anytime I meet somebody and I find out they lost a child, I hear it and feel it very objectively. I don't immediately go, oh yeah, I lost my daughter too. I, I sort of, my initial impression is I can't imagine what that's like. Yeah. And then it's like, well, yeah, I can. Yep. But my empathy is totally with you on that. Likewise. It's not, it's a, it's a horrible club. It's a horrible club. Yes, it's, it is. Yeah. Nobody wants in. No. Molly, if you could maybe describe your family a little bit, what your family life was like before you met this high school boyfriend who later became college boyfriend and on, but just, you know, what was your nuclear family? Yeah. Mom and dad together. They have a great relationship. I had a lovely childhood. Um, the oldest, uh, and I have three brothers, so I'm the only girl. That was, I think, great for me because I didn't have to share anything. And I was dad's girl and that was it. And so it was lovely close with my family. I don't live near them. They actually are a huge part of the story of my ex because he ended up living with them and I wasn't even living there. I was in college already. Oh. I have a lot of guilt around that. I feel like I dragged them 
into chaos. Oh, gee. They were just, they were doing their best and they were trying to like not alienate me. And so it, it was tough, but we, before all of that, it was lovely. And um, we met then in high school. Were you in the same high school at that time? And you see him in the hallway or something like that? Is it? So we actually met in a, in a language class. He was a year younger, not necessarily younger, but a year um, before, a year after me in school. He was taking level whatever of this class and I was taking level whatever of this class. And we ended up having the same, the same desk. He didn't have any papers, so he would just take notes on the desk. Oh. And I would be like, what is, what is this? Who's writing all over the desk? Why don't they have paper? And we met at like actually a banquet for those, for that language. I was president of that language club and I ended up getting like a master's in that language eventually. What language was that? German. Okay. I speak several languages, but. Wonderful. So we ended up connecting that way. I don't know how else we would have met. We were in completely different social circles and I was in honors classes and, and choir and language and president of language clubs and NHS and that sort of stuff. And he was scraping by, just barely scraping by. Mm -hmm. We met and he was just so different from anybody I'd ever met. And he was just really exciting and loud and just there was something. And I was like, yeah. Was he uh, sort of like a little like uh, dangerous slash uh, yeah. the bad boy, let's say? Very, very much so. Okay. He was a star football player, star wrestler. Yeah, dangerous. He was dangerous. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. my life was really safe. And it was really exciting. And it made me feel so cool and so oh. beautiful and so important in a way that I hadn't felt before. Now, when your parents first met him, what was their impression? I'm sure you had to shield part of his reputation away from mom and dad. My brother, I have a brother who's two years younger than I am. And so he knew of him and he told my parents, no way. Mm -mm. Oh, wow. <laughs> he's, he's bad news. And I think my parents were smart enough to know that I'm pretty stubborn and I was just going to do what I wanted anyway. So... They just wanted to make sure that there was still like communication with us. So they didn't, they knew that if they told me that I wasn't allowed to see him, I would see him even more. Yeah. You'd redouble your efforts. Yeah. So they did not like him, mm -hmm. but they were really kind to him. I mean, he had a, a pretty terrible home life and a pretty terrible childhood. So they're empathetic. They're empathetic people. And I am too. And I have always had that kind of, oh, I can help. I'm stable. And I'm smart and I'm, all he needs is someone who loves him. Mm -hmm. My love, yeah. my love just, will change him. Yeah, you just need to fix the parts that aren't so great. And then this guy is going to be a real champ. It's going to be yeah. wonderful. Perfect. Yep. How'd that work out? If we could jump ahead just for a moment, just with a word, how did that work out? It did not. It did not work. Just want to make sure that uh, we're still batting a thousand in that area. Yep. And, and we are. So, okay. So what year were you, do you recall? And what year was he in high school? We met when I was a junior and okay. he was a sophomore. But he was my age. So he had a car and everything, which was also so cool. And, oh, it was just every, every high school bad boy, good girl trope that you see in everything. Oh, it was awesome. Now, looking back on that, besides being loved with uh, the visual and maybe even what you heard around that time, do you think you were, as best you understand, looking back again, 
you think you were in love, really? Or just in love with uh, what was happening, the vibe? I really liked how I felt. Mm-hmm. I felt like I, uh, I felt like I needed somebody because I didn't want to be by myself. Mm-hmm. And everybody, you know, you pair up and you, yes. I was always just really, really insecure. I couldn't see why anybody would want to date me or hang out with me. So the fact that he picked me and he was so, he was so popular and he was so cool and he was so athletic and everyone knew him and he was always invited to all the parties and he was the party. And for him to pick me, it just felt really, I felt like somebody saw me for the first time and I felt mm-hmm. really it felt special. He made me feel really special. You were having your Cinderella moment, you think? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you feel like you got a big upgrade. I'm trying to think what that would be like. It would be kind of like any doubts you ever had maybe were starting to be removed about you. Yeah. Because I, I just, I had a hard time finding myself and being comfortable with myself. And so he made me feel like I, I could, I could do it. Like I could do what I wanted to do because he thought I was something. And if he thought I was something and everybody knew that he was something, then I was something too. Okay. Okay. You're traveling along. What were some of the, you've, I guess you really, you've described some of the highs of what it was like to have him at your side. What were some of maybe the earliest indications if they even did happen in high school? What were some of the earliest indications that this could really not only be you know, he's a kind of a dangerous guy, but now you're starting to maybe learn that he might be trouble for you. Did you see any of that? I mean, your yeah. junior, senior year with him? Yeah. You did. What are some snapshots from that album? The lies, a lot of lying, a lot of hiding things from me. I was brought up in a relatively conservative household, so I didn't smoke or, or drink really. I mean, I drank some, but I definitely didn't like do drugs. I didn't want him to really be I didn't want him to smoke because it was gross. And so um, he would tell me that he didn't or he quit. And he never, he never did. He, he smoked the entire time that we were together all through our marriage and everything. And after I'm sure still, and, and the drugs. You said all through our marriage. Did you actually end up marrying him? I did. Ah, I didn't get that from your email. I did not. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Processing on this end. Processing. <laughs> Okay. All right. Now. Okay. I don't want to rush your story, but I am curious. Okay. So you do roughly speaking two years of high school with him. Yes. Because I'm not sure when you actually met him for real besides his uh, desk work. But, Mm -hmm. but then you go to college. Now, do you go to the same college eventually? He does not go to college. Oh. Uh, He barely graduated. I ended up going on you know, an academic scholarship to university and um, really excelling and just doing uh, college was lovely. And I think my parents were really hoping that that would open my eyes. Right. Something more proper might come along. Right. But the thing was, right before I left, he proposed. So we got engaged when I was 18. Oh, early. Very, very early. He actually asked my parents for permission. It was different times. He asked my parents for permission, and my dad said, wait till after college, please. And my mom said, no. And his response was, I was just being nice. I'm going to marry her anyway. Hmm. So that was our engagement. And I came home with my you know, tiny little ring, and he proposed with uh, Dairy Queen. 
and and I came home and I was so excited and my mom was like, don't even talk to me. Oh my. She was so angry because she was valedictorian of her high school, but because of her family, she was a woman, so she didn't go to college. Uh. She was so angry because she had done everything that she could do to make sure that I could do everything that she didn't get to do. And I did. I did all those things. But he was always hanging on. And she was really hoping I cut him loose. Well, he doesn't go to college. We don't have to talk about that part of this. He's at, he's living with my parents at this point. Yeah, you alluded to that. I don't see how, my, unless they thought we can keep a better eye on him. Yeah. But what what was the thinking there? He got kicked out of his house because of the drugs and the lies. And his mom was like, get out. He had no place to go. And the other options that he had were bad options. And I think my parents figured she's engaged to this guy. Like, we want to make sure that he's not getting into huge trouble. He's a human being. They cared about him. Like, as much as my mom did not want me to marry him, but he's still a human being. My parents are very kind people. Yes. So he lived with them and was just really disrespectful of all of their love and care. And I feel, I still feel really badly about that because I could have ended it sooner if he hadn't been so enmeshed, like enmeshed in my, in my family. I just, I felt like I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't do it. I couldn't leave because like we, he lived at my parents' house. How long was he living there? Until we were married. And how long would that be? From the time he was 18. He got kicked out when he was 18 and he moved in with my parents. And until we got married, I was, I believe... I did finish college and I went directly into a grad school to get my master's. We got married the summer before I started grad school. I was, I think, 22. He was 21 or 22. He wanted to be sure that he could drink legally at the wedding because he loved to drink. So we'd had to wait until he was 21. But he would have he married me way sooner. He needed to lock it down. Like I, I studied abroad. I lived in Germany for a while. I lived in Costa Rica for a while. And all that time we were still together. I was on different continents and he would, he came to visit me in Germany, got into fights, like fought people and in in a country, he doesn't speak the language and he just got really drunk. And if anyone would ever talk to me, that was one of the things that like, no one could talk to me. No men could talk to me. And I couldn't be wearing things that would make men want to talk to me. Mm -hmm. Does that get into uh, makeup and hair and clothing and clothing especially? Yes. Yes. I could wear anything that was revealing or or tight and I was cute like I was real cute so I wanted to wear cute stuff and I was not allowed to do that you know I I know I've said this so many times on these episodes but at some point over the course of years now you know it's not months it's years and you're getting these little hints that this guy is a kind of a problem for you does the light come on in your head saying I don't know about this I could do better. I could pick someone who maybe likes to stay in the lane a little bit more than he does because he's not only swerving, he's in the oncoming lanes and he's, uh, you know, brushing people off the side of the road. I mean, this guy's absolutely, he's a bit of a wild guy, you know? He is. He was absolutely, I couldn't, couldn't trust anything he would say and any situation could be volatile. And so, yeah, there were several points, especially when I studied in Costa Rica, I actually met my now husband okay. while we were there and we just were really close friends and he was just a really he talked to me about things we had conversations which I didn't really had to have any intellectual sort of stuff with my with my ex and um it made me see myself in a different way 
up until then, it was, I kind of liked the jealousy. I got the message that it's because he mm. loved me so mm-hmm. much. Yes, I can see that. He loved me so much. It was just all encompassing. He was just so enamored with me that he couldn't handle anybody else getting my attention. And I thought it was because he just was so into me and it felt really good for a while. But what comes with that, of course, is that relationships with males and maybe females too, right? Am I yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. So you're kind of like all alone with the exception of you're with, with him. Correct. Yeah. He didn't, my friends didn't like him. He didn't really care for my friends. They mm-hmm. were dorks and he was cool. So we would hang out with his friends and party with his friends. My friends were like, no, I'm not gonna, that's, I don't want to do that. And so we, you know, I lost contact and uh, like a lot of really lovely friendships. It didn't stop me from making friends kind of in college because he wasn't there. I'd see him a few times a month, you know, talk all the time on the phone and things, but I was living kind of my own life as an escape and I was doing what I wanted to do and living in other countries. And he was just kind of there. And there was a point when I was studying in Costa Rica and I thought like, what if I just emailed and said, I don't want to do this anymore. Break it off. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I thought like that's safe for me. Sure. But he was living with my parents and I wasn't, it wasn't safe for them or my siblings. And so I, I didn't do it because I was afraid of what might happen to my parents and embarrassed that I had invited him into our life, that they had been so kind and so understanding. And I knew he, I knew he would do something and I didn't know what it would be. Mm. I didn't want, I didn't want to. It wasn't really embarrassing. I didn't want my parents to know how bad it was. And I didn't, I didn't want to cause them any, any more pain or harm or discomfort. I didn't, yeah, I just, I felt really stupid. I totally understand what you're saying. And I actually had kind of put it out of my mind for a moment that he was still with your parents, because there are instances where if the abusive person can't get to you, they'll get to somebody who means a lot to you. So I've heard of sisters getting beat up and worse, things like that. So that the, it's like someone's going to get punished and you're going to get it, but you may get it through someone else. One thing I was thinking about throughout this is that when he would do something that was strikingly awful, did he come with apologies for any of this? Yes, that was more more so like into the marriage because, I mean, we fought and things and it wasn't good and he didn't treat me well. But it wasn't until kind of we were on our own, just the two of us. Because, I mean, my parents, we lived with my parents and he couldn't really do anything that bad because my parents were there all the time and my brothers were there all the time. And so we actually went to like premarital counseling and I brought up all these concerns with the pastor and said, you know, I just like, it's not working very well right now. Like we're not getting along very well. It makes me nervous to get married. And the pastor said, well, what, what's your living situation? And we told him, he said, well, you just need to get out of your parents' house. Everything will be fine. Oh, really? Huh. The priest told me that. And I thought like, well, then he knows what he's talking about. We just need to get out of my parents' house and then we'll be fine. But that was when it really started with the um, things would be so bad. And then they'd be so, so good for a long time. And I remember being in kind of the the valleys and thinking it's going to get better soon because like he's going to do something terrible and then we'll it'll blow up but then it'll be so good for a while 
and I just have to hold on until it's so good because I can make it through the valleys and but because the peaks were what like kept me in it. Yes. So yes, definitely. The When Dating Hurts podcast is sponsored by Nom Nom. I'm a big advocate for better food for pets. When they eat healthier, they live healthier. And Nom Nom's food for dogs is full of fresh proteins a dog loves and the vitamins and nutrients they need to thrive. Nom Nom meals are pre-portioned for your dog's exact caloric needs. So it's the easiest way to take the guesswork out of feeding your dog the best. Just tell them about your pup, age, breed, weight, allergies, and protein preferences. Get fresh, pre-packaged, totally nutritious meals delivered directly to your door for even less. Order Nom Nom today. Go to trynom.com slash when dating hurts and get 50% off your first order plus free shipping. And Nom Nom comes with a money-back guarantee. That means if your dog doesn't love each meal, Nom Nom will refund your first order. Nom Nom is real good food for your dog. Head to trynom.com slash when dating hurts. There's one man who was on an earlier episode, might even be well over a year ago, and he was the one who was being abused. But he said that he was addicted to grade A hopium. It's <laughs> pretty clever. Yeah, I, yes, yes. So the fact that he wanted to see if it was possible to get another hit of the good stuff, you know, when things are when things are feeling better and kind of more reminiscent of, in this case, good old days. In your case, you know, because it was years ago now. I mean, it's getting to the point. If I'm, my math is any good, it would be like six years ago. You know, when you met by the time you got married. I think I'm close. Yes. Okay. Yep. So when you say, like when you have alluded to the abuse, of course, emotional abuse comes with this, but is it also during the time period we're talking about, are we also talking about physical abuse at this time? Uh, yeah. Okay. So yes. give us, our listeners, an idea of how far he took that. The name calling and screaming and things was kind of always a part of everything. So I didn't like that. And I didn't like to be screamed at and called names. But I just thought like, that's not abuse. He's just yelling. I thought that it even now it's kind of hard for me to, to, to say that I was in an abusive marriage because he didn't punch me in the face. He didn't strangle me. But did he punch you on the other hand, like in the arm or maybe, or? He would push me. He right. um, mm -hmm. would take me, um, grab my arms and shake me, spit in my face, oh. which you wouldn't think would be so bad, but it's so bad. Like it feels really bad. It's just like a deep level of disrespect. Yes. Just like you're disgusting and you're nothing. Yes. And I almost really would have rather him slap me in the face than spit in my face because it, it doesn't feel like it should hurt, but it really, it really hurt. So we, we moved for my graduate school um, and we were married. And so we were living in graduate student housing and my parents lived about two hours away. And so he was still really, really close to all of his friends. Of course, I, I made him leave so that I could do this. And he had no one down where we were. And so we had to visit his friends and my family. Well, I would visit my family. He would visit his friends every chance that we got. And so that was a two hour drive. Those were probably the most traumatic episodes of abuse because he really loved to get me in the car where he knew that I couldn't get out 
And he had two hours where he could just scream at me and yell and um, speed and go 90 miles an hour. And I would be crying and shaking and saying, please slow down. Like, please slow down. Please stop yelling at me. And three or four times during one of those episodes, because they happened pretty frequently, he would punch the windshield and it would it would break. He broke like four windshields while we're going 90 miles an hour on the highway and he's screaming and I'm just like, I'm so scared and I'm, I don't have any place to go. I can't go anywhere. Like I can't get out of the car. And he really liked that. He liked to have me captive where he could just unload on Mm -hmm. me. Just terrorizing you. Yes. And he would, you know, he would, he would punch walls. He would break windshields. He would break things like right next to me. And so those were probably the most, the worst, but there were so many times where I, I thought like I could call, I could call the police, but I was really scared of what he would do. Of course. If I called the police and also like, if I call the police, that's it. That is something I can't, I can't take it back. Like we can't, we won't be able to fix it. Yes. Once you have a record, you have a record. That's it. Yeah. And then people would know that was a huge thing too. Yes. People would know. Everybody who knew me was like, why, why are you doing this? Like, why, why did you, why are you, why, why are you doing this? Why do you have anything to do with this guy when you could do so much better, right? This guy is trash. Like, what are you, why are you continuing to, like, he's just, he's just dragging you down. And so that was during our first, we were married for two and a half years and I was in grad school at that time. And so that was when I first really um, dealt with depression because he, it was really, really hard. It was really, really, it was bad and it was daily and it was a lot of yelling and, and, and I'm, I'm controlling and I'm this. And he left everything for me so that I could go to school. And he didn't leave anything. Hmm. He didn't leave anything. He had nothing. He still has nothing. So whatever great opportunity he thought that he had, like in our hometown, he didn't have it. As if he sacrificed his identity and his future right. for you. Support you. Yes. Yeah. So that was like, I didn't want to move here. Like, so everything was my fault. Everything, if he couldn't get a good job, if he got fired from his job, when he would get DUIs, which he got multiple DUIs, it was my fault because he shouldn't even be down here. He should be in our hometown working his dream job. He would never have gotten that job. It was all just a fantasy. In one of your emails, you said at one point you were a middle school teacher while he was a pizza delivery guy and he was also gambling at that time. So there's a striking contrast. My dad would, I love my dad. He's really great. And I would call him and cry about how hard it was to be married. And he would listen. He never said, he, he always said to me, you know, you decide how much you, you can handle. I can't decide that for you. I was teaching middle school and I was also teaching graduate. Um, I was teaching beginning level German classes at the university, going to grad school full time as well. And so he delivered pizzas and then stayed out until God knows, I don't know. Cause I would wake up and he would never, he wouldn't be in bed ever. Like even if he's supposed to be home, I roll over and he wasn't there. And so I would be getting ready to go to work in the morning. And th- we had one car because we, we had no money. I was, I was in grad school teaching part-time middle school and he was delivering pizzas. So you know, we'd have $150 worth of bills due and we'd have $30 in our bank account. And, you know, like I would eat 
for for lunch every day, I you know pack like a like a small sandwich, a craft single, and that would be my lunch because I we didn't have money, we didn't have anything. It was it was it was tough, and so I was doing that. My dad would say like Molly, what are you what are you doing? Like you're you're probably going to get a doctorate someday. Like what are you going to be like doctor and Mister Pizza delivery guy? Like this is not. I don't know what you're doing. And the other thing too was I had middle school German students, like German students overall, I love them. They're like quirky and weird and, and really great. The middle school ones especially are weird and they're, it's so fun. And I had one that I was pretty close to. He was a real nice kid. He came up to me. He brought me the local paper and was like, is that your husband? Oh no. Because he had gotten a DUI and my last name at the time was not a very common last name. And it was a smaller college town anyway. So I was, I just remember being like, oh no, I'm going to lose my job. Like it's going to affect me. And I remember just like sobbing in the room after that class of going like, I can't hide these things. And it's, it's a, it's going to affect me. I'm not the one getting DUIs, but it's going to affect me. Again, you're having to kind of pay his bills that he keeps running up you know, in life. Yeah. Eventually I got a little sneaky because I just couldn't, I wanted out really badly. I wanted out before we got married, actually. I didn't want to go through with it, but everything had already, you know, the deposits were on everything and the invitations had gone out and I brought it up to him and I said, you know, I don't know if maybe this is not the right time for us to do this. Maybe we should do this after I get my degree or I remember he just looked at me and said, you promised. Are you a liar? You told me you promised. I proposed to you. You said, yes, we're getting married. And so we did. And I just, there's so many times I wanted out and I was just, I was really scared. And there was a lot of like, I I just feel like a lot of, I didn't want to, I didn't want to make a fuss. You know, everything was done already. And it, it didn't matter that, you know, we went through the, guest list and I was like you can't invite all of your jabroni friends dude like it's not gonna work and it okay and then he just invited everyone to drink for free afterwards like he, he told every like there were people at my wedding reception with all of my family in jeans and t-shirts drinking free booze because my parents were paying for it so like whatever it's free uh. and so there were just so many times that I wanted to get out eventually it got to with the DUIs were happening every single year and I was having to bail him out every every single December. I would have to bail him out of something. And we were paying for lawyers for DUIs. It was getting to the point where I just, I knew it wasn't sustainable. The bad stuff was lasting a lot longer. And the good stuff was not as good. And it wasn't making up for all of the bad things. And so he would get off at like 2 a.m. from delivering pizzas. And then I would expect him to be home at like 3 or so, and he just would never be home because he was gambling the money that he just made. So he would like go play poker with people, whatever. And sometimes not get back in time for me to have the car to go to work, to teach, to teach middle schoolers how to speak German. And I'm like trying, this is my first like big girl job, like my first teaching job. And I'd spent so long getting my teaching license. And I was just like, I, I really, I really liked it. And I was really good at it. I just wanted to do everything right. And I wanted to be good. I just wanted to be really good at it. My home life was affecting my work and it was seeping over and I couldn't keep things separated anymore. He was never a technology guy. 
I mean, this was the early 2000s, so it wasn't the same as it is right now. Like, we didn't have cell phones, but he was not even an email guy. Like, he didn't, not a computer guy, not savvy in that way at all. And all of a sudden, like, he had an email, and I was like, what is, like, what, why are, why does he have this? And he didn't, he wouldn't tell me about it. He's just like, well, I have an email, and people have email. Okay. So I, inst I installed a, uh, a tracker on the computer. I got all of his passwords and I went into his stuff because I was like, there's something going on and um, I really need to know about it because I'm kind of at this point like getting getting prepared and like my things in a row so that I can leave. And so I look in and it's um, it was always gambling and always drugs and always alcohol. I go on and I see these emails and it's for online gambling sites. I'm going like, I I'm eating like a craft single grilled cheese for lunch every day. And you're on here gambling. And it wasn't just like, okay, like let's, it wasn't even just the gambling. It was that he had, in order to use this site, which was located in Dubai, you had to enter your bank account number. So he oh. just had access to, you know, whatever $45 we had in there at the time. But I just remember going like, no, 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 my, my paycheck goes in there. Like, no. And that was the point where I just was like, oh, no, no, I'm done. And so I confronted him about that. How'd that scene look? I'm trying to imagine. How dare you hack into my things and disregard my privacy. And like, I can't believe you would do that. And yelling and I'm, you're, see, I told you you're so controlling. This, this is exactly what you do. Uh think you need to control everything and how dare you and so that was the first kind of huge blow up and then I at this point I was kind of like I don't I don't believe what you're telling me I don't think I'm controlling I think that you're lying like I I just I felt like at that point because there were lots and lots of years and even afterwards where I was like maybe I am a little high strung maybe I'm a little controlling like maybe if he were to just find somebody who was cool with all of the weird stuff that he likes to do, who was cool with the weed all the time and the alcohol, like he could be happy. Maybe it's just not, maybe it was me. It was me. And also maybe if you made more money, yeah. he wouldn't be feeling the strain yeah. of his gambling, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, cause there'd be a lot more and he wouldn't have to kind of run out of money from time to time, which is probably a great inconvenience yeah. to him. So it was kind of thoughtless on your part. Don't you think? Yes, I definitely, ruined everything his entire life yeah you really kind of messed things up for him then the next iteration of that was i'm so so sorry you're right i was so wrong i'll never happen again i love you so much please no we can work on it we can do this and that here come the promises right here comes the. did he talk about anything about sometimes people like this find religion they didn't have and sometimes maybe not that card Okay, but maybe the other one is uh, I'll I'll get counseling because oh, yeah, yeah. I'm starting to realize I okay yeah. got that one yeah. right check that yeah. box and like that was actually before he pulled the counseling card and we went to counseling and I it was Christian counseling and I uh, my 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 spiritual journey has led me to a place that I look back on that time and go like oh oh Molly oh because I feel like I was negatively impacted by this evangelical idea of you cannot get a divorce 
like that is the worst thing you can do. Even if your sure. husband is spitting in your face and grabbing you and throwing you over coffee tables, you can work it out. You need to do counseling. So I had this idea, I got to work my way out of this marriage. Now, are you saying you have to work your way out of the marriage or you have to work out this marriage? I have to work my way out, even if I want out. So it is going, so divorce is somewhere up yeah. ahead, you're saying. I thought maybe you bought the story about you can't get divorced because it's the worst thing. Um, it is the worst thing, but I figured if I did end up there, I could only get a divorce if I checked all of these boxes. I had to give him a chance to to do things better, to get better. I had to go to counseling. I had to I had to give him the opportunity to make things better. I couldn't just leave. And so I did, and things would be okay for a while, and then they wouldn't be. Eventually, I just was like, this does it's not gonna it's not gonna work. You're just you're lying to the therapist and you're lying to me and you're lying to yourself. And I don't want to do this anymore. Now, when you say you're lying to the therapist, what does that mean? Like you weren't giving it straight to the therapist, you personally? No, he was lying. So I was, I was not allowed to bring up any of the, the more. Yeah. You, well, you don't want to make him look no. bad in front of the therapist. Is that what you're yes. saying? Okay. I was not allowed to talk about, you know, him spitting in my face or throwing me around or shaking me or breaking things. Right. So I, it was never going to address anything because. Right. You had to give the Disney version of how life was at home. It was a little bad. Yeah. It was, it wasn't working. You know, our communication wasn't good. Right. It's a little bit of work. You'd probably get everything where you want it. And yeah. And then the therapist could stamp. Everything's good now. Yep. Yep. And now. If I could double back flip about 10 minutes ago that you had in, again, in your email, like you mentioned, bail him out. So he was, he'd do a night in the, in jail, but also 2 a.m. cab rides to ATMs to get bail money. Yes. So I, every December he would kind of go off the rails. His dad died of, I think an overdose when he was young and it was in December. And he of course had never gotten any, the adults around him had, had done him a real disservice by not having the resources or being able to kind of help him deal with those things. And so instead of dealing with that traumatic thing, he would just go off the rails in December. It had to be three or four Christmases that he just, I, I love Christmas. It's like my favorite holiday. My parents do Christmas really big. It's, it's really fun. He ruined them. He just ruined them. He ruined them. Every, every Christmas, every Christmas that we were kind of like in, engaged and then married it was another DUI. We didn't have money. And, you know, the ATM has a, a limit. Sure. I get a call at like two or three in the morning uh, from the jail that I needed to come bail him out. And so then I, he had the car, of course, that was impounded. I'd have to call a taxi and then go to various ATMs to get enough money to get him out because I could only withdraw a certain amount. And then sometimes I would have to do like a cash advance, a credit card, because I didn't have money to do that. To bail someone out under those circumstances, what kind of money were we looking at? I was probably remembering really well between like 200 and $400. Oh, okay. It's, so- it's lower than I thought. I don't know what it, I mean, I was thinking you'd say thousands. No, I mean, oh my God, he would have stayed in there because we didn't have that money. There's no way I could have gotten that money. But yeah, and I... I had the, I had these conversations with cab drivers cause I'd be in, it's a college town and I'd be sobbing in the backseat and being like, take me to an ATM, take me to another ATM, then take me to the jail. And so they know what's happening and they're, they're, they're going like, what, 
all of them, all the cab drivers are going like, you don't need to do this. You leave his, leave him. I mean, I, I can picture that. And I'm not trying to say that's the last place you'd go for empathy, but it's a very unexpected place to go for empathy as a cab driver who figures it out. And says, Look, lady, while they're looking in the rearview mirror at your face back there, what right? And you're miserable and crying your eyes out. And they're basically saying it's a big world out there. And clearly you got a boat anchor around your neck. Yeah. And I had police officers tell me the same thing when I go to bail him out. And I'd have, especially there was this one um, female officer and apparently he had been spouting off some nonsense and he um, got arrested and of course was very drunk and was just yelling like my wife, my wife's family is rich. They're going to get me a lawyer. You ain't got like, good luck you guys, because my wife's going to be here and she bails me out every single time. And, and so she, I didn't hear any of this cause I wasn't there. I was sobbing in a, in a back of a cab, but the woman, the officer came up after I had you know put the money to bail him out. And, and she told me that, and she said, he's using you. It's not going to get better. You can't keep bailing him out. Literally. Yes. Literally stop bailing him out. Yes. And I, I remember just feeling like, oh, oh no, I think she might be right. Because there's these people that I don't know these people. They're all trying to tell me, girl, you in danger. Like this is not, it, you're, you shouldn't be doing this. There was one time where he got, I was already home for Christmas and um, got a phone call at two in the morning that he'd been arrested again for a DUI separate incidents from the, when where the female officer told me, get out. And I was like, okay, like I'll come, I'll come get you. Cause he had gotten arrested again. I was going to drive two and a half that I was down there. And my mom was like, you're not driving by yourself. I'm going with you. And I said, no, you're not. This is bad enough as it is. I'm not bringing my mom with me down there. And she was just like, nope, if you're driving our car, I'm coming with you. You are not going by yourself. I'm going with you. And she was like, it was because she wanted to she wanted to be there for me and make sure that he didn't pull any of this nonsense and try to like snake his way back in and all of the stuff that he would do after I'd bail him out. So, so I was like, fine, fine, fine. We'll go. Go get in the car. So like she grabs her, she likes to bring her little water bottles and snacks. And so we get in the car and we're driving. I'm driving like 15 minutes and I just go like, no, let's uh, let's turn around. I'm not going to get him. And she's like, good, don't get them. And so we turn around and the phone calls that I got, like, where are you? Why aren't you getting me? And I just said, I'm not going to. I'm not going to. You can figure it out. I'm not coming. Because obviously you become, even though it's the last thing you want, you become the enabler of the bad yep. stuff. You'll be the parachute. You have to do that every time. That's your job. You're the parachute with money in it. Exactly. And it was, yeah. the same, it was the same when we got a divorce, when I was just like, I want a divorce. And he was like, no, 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 no. You can't have one. No, we're meant to be together. And oh, how can you throw this away? And you don't want, you don't want some guy with like a briefcase that goes to the office and comes home. And I was like, yeah, I do. I do want that. Like, I don't think you understand what I want. Cause I don't want this. Like, I don't, I don't want to be in this anymore. This ends part one. Listen to part two when you can. It's the second and final episode with Molly. Thanks to my guests for offering their stories on the When Dating Hurts podcast. 
This is your platform where victims, survivors, and others who have experience with domestic violence can freely add what they have witnessed. Through these stories, although challenging to listen to, we underscore the prevalence and horrific behavior of abusers over their targets and victims. With knowledge comes enlightenment and empowerment. If you feel your story should be included on this podcast, please email me at billmitchell at whendatinghurts.com. That's billmitchell at whendatinghurts.com. Thank you.